0: What works and what doesn't? Understanding what works. What works for me? Understanding your own business to know what works. What works for you? This is what works. I'm pretty sure I picked up most of my U.S. history knowledge outside of U.S. history classes. For instance, I played in the pit orchestra for Annie in high school, and I learned quite a bit about the Great Depression. You probably know Annie's famous anthem, Tomorrow, and you've probably heard It's a Hard Knock Life. But do you know we'd like to thank you, Herbert Hoover? Or do you know about Hoovervilles? We'd like to thank you, Herbert Hoover, for really showing us the way.
1: We'd like to thank
0: you, Herbert Hoover. I'm Tara McMillan, and this is Extra Context. Short bonus What Works episodes that add more historical, philosophical, or strategic context to how we navigate the 21st century economy. Herbert Hoover's successful bid for president culminated in a speech on October 22nd, 1928, that enshrined the concept of rugged individualism into the American mythos.
1: It is the American system, it is founded on the conception that only through ordered liberty, freedom, and equal opportunity to the individual will his initiative and enterprise spur on the march of progress. And in our insistence on equality of opportunity, has our system advanced beyond the whole world.
0: Hoover made his case against federal interference in the economy. He argued that while centralization was necessary during World War I, It was now a danger to the American way. Hoover believed that if the federal government continued to direct economic growth, it would impede Americans' freedom.
1: We regimented our whole people temporarily into a socialistic state. However justified in wartime, if continued in peacetime, it would destroy not only our American system, but with it our progress and freedom as well.
0: Hoover took up the cause of restoring the political philosophy of little-l liberalism. In other words, he believed that Americans were most free and had the most economic potential when the government didn't interfere in their lives. Further, he claimed this approach had already yielded incredible results.
1: Our America has come nearer to the abolition of poverty, nearer to the abolition of fear of want, Than humanity has ever reached before. The departure from our American system will jeopardize the very liberty and freedom of our people.
0: Now, you don't need to be a historian to question the validity of these statements. In 1928, white women had only won the right to vote eight years previous. Irish and Italian immigrants were only starting to be accepted in polite company. Jim Crow laws robbed Black people of their economic futures while also incarcerating and murdering them. American Indian residential schools were still taking children from their homes in service of assimilation, and American Indians had only become US citizens in 1924. In every way you can imagine, the United States was only the land of the free for a very narrow slice of the population. The rugged individualism Hoover sought to restore had a color, white. It also had a gender, male. But of course, Hoover insisted that American individualism was based on equality of opportunity. We see the legacy of Hoover's case for rugged individualism in all of the most popular self-help and success books. From Norman Vincent Peale to Brian Tracy to Bernard Roth to Rachel Hollis, the message is one of profound self-reliance. The self-improvement mantras we encounter daily all rely on recasting inequality as personal excuses. The logic of individualism is easy to buy into if you don't think about it too hard. Don't get curious about what else is going on beneath the surface. But the logic quickly breaks down when you start asking questions. Friedrich Hayek was another devoted proponent of individualism in the first half of the 21st century. Hayek was an economist and political philosopher, and he helped found the society that advocates for individualist free market economic policies to this day. Hayek believed in equal economic opportunity, just as Hoover did, but he absolutely did not believe in trying to level the playing field. He wrote, quote, there is all the difference in the world between treating people equally and attempting to make them equal. To Hayek, people were not equal. And by allowing for equal opportunities, some would rise to the top, others would sink to the bottom, and society would benefit by getting its varied needs met by different kinds of people. Just like Hoover, Hayek's free individual was white and male. Just one year and one week after Hoover's rugged individualism speech, the New York Stock Exchange collapsed. It was Black Tuesday, the beginning of the Great Depression. Hoover refused to provide outright relief to those suffering during the Great Depression. Worse, he exacerbated trade wars. His approach to navigating the Great Depression earned him the distinction of U.S. News & World Report's ninth worst president. The Depression only started to abate after President Roosevelt put a host of progressive policies in place to address the needs of citizens directly. FDR wasn't a rugged individualist. I might suggest instead that FDR's approach was one of rugged cooperation. Rugged individualism is still deeply enmeshed in American culture, and the myth is one of our biggest exports to the rest of the world. The American dream promises that anyone can make it if they work hard enough and play by the rules. Anyone can make it by pulling themselves up by their
1: bootstraps. Baloney.
0: Rugged individualism is the philosophical foundation that convinces you that if you fail, it's because you're not good enough. Rugged individualism erases the impact of structural and systemic inequality. And rugged individualism is what inspires the kind of tough luck policies we looked at in last week's episode. Individualism is what convinces us to buy products and services designed to help us overcome the results of continued injustice, or to mitigate the effects of inhumane conditions. Individualism is the driving force behind the pseudo-feminist imperative to lean in. And it's what exhorts us to work on ourselves instead of working toward better conditions for everyone. The logic of individualism is also a logic of loneliness and isolation. It's the sense that you are the only one responsible for your success or failure, that there is no help available. Rugged individualism cuts us off from human connection. The philosopher Hannah Arendt wrote presciently about the danger of a society of lonely individuals. She defined loneliness not as solitude, since solitude is actually where one can reflect on their connection to themselves and to others, and really prepare themselves for the encounter with others. She described loneliness as isolation and even alienation from others and the reality of our experiences loneliness, she argued, was the breeding ground of totalitarianism. So while Hoover saw rugged individualism as the foundation of freedom, Arendt viewed loneliness as the prime condition for domination. Here's Professor Lindsay Stonebridge on a recent episode of Vox Conversations. She understood loneliness as a peculiarly modern problem. It's a problem that comes with individualism. It's a problem that comes with capitalism. It's a problem that comes with modernity. The condition of individuality and the state of isolation are both illusions. To be human is to be profoundly connected to others. And when we forget that, we forget who we are. Yet most of us speak the language of individualism, even if we weren't born to it. So individualism influences the marketing messages we create and those that act on us. Individualism is the lens through which we see our p statements, even if the accounting of revenue and expenses is inherently an accounting of relationships. While individualism persists as the dominant language of business and career success, it isn't equipped to describe the reality of that success. We recognize the economic system we move through every day and how it influences our decisions. The profit motive, self-reliance, the it's just business mentality. Yet, We can also recognize that most of our activities are not driven by capitalism, as Rebecca Solnit argues in her book, Hope in the Dark. Our interactions and commitments to friends, family, colleagues and neighbors are, quote, in essence, non-capitalist or even anti-capitalist, full of things we do for free, out of love and on principle. We take part in rugged cooperation every day, and businesses can be run with rugged cooperation too. What could happen if we replaced the philosophy of rugged individualism with a philosophy of rugged cooperation? What if we swapped out the scripts we've learned in an individualist culture with the curiosity and care of a cooperative culture? And how would your business or career shift if you approached it not as your best way to climb to the top of a flawed system, but as a laboratory for experimenting with ruggedly cooperative systems? As Solnit put it, what we dream of is already present in the world. Now I'll be back next week with the next installment in our Context Clues series.